It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. The difference between numbers and opinion. Gary Langer. The news media have for far too long indulged themselves in the lazy luxury of being both data-hungry and math-phobic. You see a number and a percentage sign, it speaks with authority. You need it, you want it, you gotta have it, and you run with it. The reality is that running with numbers is like running with scissors. You're bound to get hurt. Polls are anti-pundit. A good quality poll holds the pundit's feet to the fire. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Are we good with the intro or do you want to change it? You want to wing it? Sure. All right, I'll go. I'll say something. You can then make the Trump and... You know, you know I'll say something intelligent. You yeah, say yeah. something random. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, Richard, so much of what we talk about in this show comes down to ideas about politics the tribalism in politics and what we think we know about public opinion comes down to polling and yet there's so much anxiety that the polls aren't right that they're not reflecting real reality but in fact the polling has been pretty accurate in a lot of recent political debates so okay let's drill down what is the state of public opinion how much has it changed in the past year with the rise of sanders and trump and now more recently brexit is a populist revolt in the works? Do the wounds and resentments from the 2008 financial crisis mean that we really have changed as a nation in terms of public opinion? Yeah, have we gotten more extreme, more radical? Well, our guest today is Gary Langer, a leading public opinion researcher and expert on questionnaire design and methodology. Gary runs Langer Research Associates and has been a longtime director of polling at ABC News. And Gary joins us via Skype from New York. Welcome. Thank you. We're hearing a lot about how much distrust the voters have of our two presidential candidates, but maybe also across the board. Is that something new? Is that something that's intensified in the last four or eight years? Well, look, there are a lot of forces in terms of political attitudes that are really important to understand because they inform the choices that voters are going to make. Uh, one of those has to do with uh, what's been a very long period of economic discontent. We're in a situation 
in which a substantial number of Americans have seen flat and even shrinking incomes for the last 40 years. That in many ways is an abrogation of the American dream, and it makes people dissatisfied with, with, with their governance and with the system of government that's producing these shrinking economic horizons. Is there more angst or, or more distrust of the system today than there was f- four years ago? To some extent, it's been my observation over many years of survey research that people fundamentally look for three things from their government, and and really not a lot more than that. Those are security, liberty, and the opportunity for prosperity. When these are perceived to be fully available, the public is generally well satisfied. Uh, When these are seen as uh, under threat or under risk, then satisfaction erodes considerably. We're in a situation now where there are economic challenges, long-term economic challenges that many Americans continue to face. Security is a concern as well. Uh, And uh, the the challenges to security, both in terms of now these new uh, domestic or lone wolf terrorist attacks and more broadly in the the global picture, are disconcerting to many Americans. And finally, there's that tension between liberty and security. But Gary, I mean, the economy is no doubt better today than it was in 2009 at the end of the financial crisis and when uh, the new president, uh, Barack Obama, took office. Uh, We have lower unemployment and higher job creation. Is that reflected, though, in the way that people view the economy? Oh, there's no question about it. We conduct an ongoing survey for the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index. And uh, consumer sentiment is is having its best year now since pre-recession, since 2007. It is vastly improved, not slightly, but vastly improved from its levels in 2008, 9, and 10. That said, it's got a long way to go. And particularly for lower-income Americans, the lower half of the income population in the country, $50,000 or so and less, these people are still struggling in many respects. So is it better? No question. Is it good enough for many? Not yet. In the past year, we saw the rise of Donald Trump, the rise of Bernie Sanders in, in this country. We've, we've seen recently the, the Brexit vote in Britain, which would indicate that there's really something new, something changing that wasn't expected. Has that been reflected in, for instance, the exit polling that you conducted in a number of states during the primary season? Well, there's substantial dissatisfaction with the status quo for the reasons we've just discussed. And and those do fuel uh, insurgent or anti-status quo candidacies. And it's certainly particularly strong uh, within the Republican Party because the status quo is perceived by Republicans to be largely related to Barack Obama's presidency. There's a, a great demand for change, but also some fundamentals within the Republican mindset in which a substantial portion of that party is in many ways anti-government, very negative in terms of views on immigration, on outsiders, if we want to think of it that way, and and interested in populism. And those have certainly fueled Donald Trump's advance through the primaries to the point of being the presumptive Republican nominee. Whether that translates uh, into general election support depends really very much on the campaign ahead. Campaigns matter and matter very much. There is uh, anti-status quo sentiment in this country that works for Trump, if you will, and against Clinton, who is more of a status quo candidate. At the same time, President Obama has more than 50 percent approval overall across the country. Uh, And uh, while the economy is challenged in many ways for many people, it is still uh, better than it was just a few years ago. There, There are arguments on both sides that we'll see play out in the months ahead. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One of the things that really intrigues me is how nobody really saw Trump's rise. I mean, you can't lay this at the feet of polls because polls can't predict future (laughs) opinions. Can we learn something about the polling process, the way we understand public opinion from the fact that, you know, nobody was really able to anticipate this phenomenon? Well, I'd I'd, uh, suggest otherwise, if I may. I think the pundits didn't do terribly well with Donald Trump, but I think our polling and many polls did did quite well. Uh, Trump went from nowhere in support a year ago last spring and vaulted to first place in July of last year, long before a single vote was cast. And Trump held the leading position in our polls and in others from July forward throughout the campaign. This is something that we didn't see in previous years. 2012, the Republican lead changed hands frequently as, as voters kept trying on different hats. So, so are you saying, you're saying that the uh, maybe the pundits were discounting the polling data, partly from past experience, thinking, well, this has to be transitory. This lead will evaporate as soon as he puts his foot in his mouth a few more times. And I think, yeah, I think that's the case. There's two things to keep in mind. One, we often hear about polls and pundits, but I would suggest that polls are anti-pundit. <laughs> Uh, a good quality poll, uh, independently conducted with solid methodology, uh, holds the pundit's feet to the fire by subjecting their attitudes or opinions with the objective light of public attitudes, of well-measured reality, if you will. That's one difference. The other is we saw not only Trump rise sharply in support in July uh, last year, long before the primaries began, but we also saw the reason behind it. He, at that time, enunciated positions which, while controversial, were broadly appealing to a substantial chunk of the Republican electorate, about half the Republican electorate, went strongly behind his support, his call for a ban on Muslim immigrants from other countries, uh, Muslim visitors, I should say, for his uh, strong um, anti-immigration stand, a wall with Mexico. While these were controversial proposals in some quarters, they resonated extremely well within the Republican Party and uh, lifted Trump to the leadership position that he went on to retain throughout the campaign. 
You make a very interesting point there, and it also relates to the recent vote in Britain on Brexit, where the opinion polls showed the result was going to be pretty close. And I heard a number of opinion researchers just before the vote saying, you know, this is a close vote. And yet the financial markets and the political pundits were saying, no, Remain's going to win. And it didn't happen. Yeah, conventional wisdom can be a, a fickle date, if you will. I mean, you know, we've heard so much some time to time about how well betting pools predict events. Uh, that was surely not the case uh, in Brexit, as, as well as among uh, many other cases. The betting was solidly in favor of, of Remain, and uh, that didn't happen. Is part of the problem that the certain isolation of elite opinion? I mean, you know, early in the campaign season, I didn't know anyone who would admit to being for Trump. And then I was up driving around in far northern New Hampshire, a pretty uh, depressed region. And the only political signs I saw were for Trump and for Bernie Sanders. And I also I realized there's something going on here, but it's it's largely among a population of people that I don't really know, you know, living in the suburbs of New York and hanging out with a lot of college educated and media people. And maybe we saw that in Brexit, too. You know, the betting pools, the pundits, all those people occupy a certain class. They probably all live in London or there. And London was overwhelmingly um, for right. Maine. And they don't have as much contact with the more working class voters who are not part of their elite networks. Do we have a systemic problem here where the elites are disconnected from real national opinions? Well, I do think the value of good quality public opinion polls is pointed out here. You know, good polls are truly small d democratic. Uh, when we make the the first call for a survey we're conducting, cell and landline. Every telephone in the country has essentially the same probability of ringing. It can be you or me or the lady across the lunch counter, a guy pounding a fender, your parish priest, your local bookie, you name it. Anyone with a phone has an opportunity to be reached and to participate in a good quality random sample public opinion survey. Often we'll do a survey and people will say to me, well, how, how could you have that finding? No one, no one I know feels that way. Well, that's exactly the point. We're introducing these groups uh, that exist across the country to one another in many ways uh, through the beauty of random sampling. And, and that's why I think that polls really add a unique and invaluable uh, level of insight to the discourse. Well, let me ask you about random sampling. Has that become much more difficult now with fewer landline phones, with people possibly more difficult to reach and to estimate? So a couple of things. Probability sampling is essential for good quality survey research because survey research operates under the principles of inferential statistics, which hold that from a randomly selected subset, you can make inferences about the full set. The challenges with non-probability research, opt-in online surveys, for example, commonly done these days, but they're conducted among people who've signed up, clicked through questionnaires on the Internet in exchange for cash and gifts. Uh, these uh, operate outside the realm of inferential statistics, and they're challenged in many ways in many academic studies in terms of their validity and reliability. Well, our show is about solutions, and I think one of the solutions is for people to have a better sense of the difference between a poll that's really accurate and one that isn't. Um, what are some of the differences? You mentioned opt-in polls. These are polls where the, the people who are being questioned uh, decide whether they're going to answer the questions or not. Yeah, it's it's more than that, actually. These are polls in which people sign up to join panels of poll takers uh, in exchange, again, for cash and gifts. Uh, and there are many challenges within the notion of professional respondents, falsification, 
uh, and uh, a, a different sort of attention to task, if you will. Uh, the most fundamental challenge of, of non-probability research is, in fact, that it's not based on a random sample of the population. So there are individuals who are systematically excluded from the sample, and that can be biasing. Fundamentally, I think the thing for people to, to know is, is this. One is that disclosure is absolutely essential. I think each consumer of survey research can set their own standards, but it's important to have them. And in order to set standards, you have to know how a survey was conducted. You need to know and have available the full questionnaire, a detailed description of the methodology, and the overall results to each question, because this is where surveys go off the rails, either with insufficient, inadequate, or non-random sampling, or with biased or leading or misleading questions, or with cherry-picked analysis that isn't true to the actual results. When we have these in front of us, we can make these judgments. Sadly, the news media in many cases have done a quite poor job of differentiating. Some news organizations take it very seriously, others don't. Uh, therefore, it often falls to the news consumer to, to consider the source and try to do some due diligence on what is or isn't a well-constructed, well-conducted survey. Yeah, well, g- give us an example of a case where you feel that the news media jumped on some poll data that was, that was not so solid. Well, look, there are many such cases. Sadly, I, I see them all the time. Um, the challenge is that far too many have no standards whatsoever. They'll see a number and percentage sign and report it, throw it out there because it's sexy. Uh, often, survey numbers are ginned up by individuals or organizations with a dog in the fight looking to persuade or promote their product, their client, or their point of view. And that's why independence is essential. Good research methods are essential. And full disclosure is equally essential. You know, as, uh, a, as a lifelong journalist, I have to say, one of the things that I've often observed is there are very few people with a bigger point spread between their verbal SAT and their, their math SAT, with the verbal being high and the math low, than, than journalists. You know, so many people who just aren't very numerically oriented go into journalism, and journalists tend to be anecdote-oriented, which means we're very vulnerable to all kinds of selection bias, the news media have far too long indulged themselves in the lazy luxury of being both data-hungry and math-phobic. Any other news that comes in over the transom, we check it out before we report it because that's our job. But numbers are too compelling, uh, too complicated, we think. You see a number and a percentage sign. It speaks with authority. You need it. You want it. you got to have it, and you run with it. The reality is that running with numbers is like running with scissors. You're bound to get hurt. Are there improvements that pollsters could make? Well, there are always improvements that pollsters can make, and there's always a tension between a budget and uh, ideal sampling approaches. Uh, we recently reviewed and revised our sampling procedures some months ago now for our ABC News Washington Post poll to the point where now 65% of our calls for any given survey uh, in that series are, are conducted via cell phone, for example. Uh, good sampling matters. We're members of the American Association for Public Opinion Research. We take very seriously our requirement to follow best practices in survey research, much of which is laid down by academics and others. So what I think I'm hearing you say is, you know, a lot of times the public or the media will say, oh, the the pollsters got this wrong or they got that wrong. But maybe more often is the problem is in how the media and the public interpret poll data, possibly incomplete poll data. Well, the risk here is that when you ask, are the polls any good, it's sort of like asking, uh, are the news media any good? I'm not even sure what the news media are these days. We have traditional newspapers and broadcast outlets, but we also have blogs and 
websites. Everything from supermarket tabloids to The Economist is all part of the media, and they all take very different approaches to the seriousness of purpose and the, and the, and the nature of their content. I think this is true uh, across fields, and it's true in the survey research field as well. What should uh, a person who's sitting down and looking at an online survey or uh, looking in their newspaper for uh, the results of an opinion poll, what should they be watching out for? Well, the first thing you want to know is that it's a probability-based sample, that it's a random sample in which everyone in the universe being studied has had an opportunity to participate. You can consider the source. If the organization that produced a survey appears to have a, an interest in the outcome, that's not a reason to reject it, but it's a reason to approach it with some additional skepticism. You want to make sure that full disclosure is in place. Can you click through and find the actual questions that were asked? Can you click through and find a detailed description of the methodology, not some bland assurance that it's a random sample, but details on how it was produced? And can you see the full top-line results, the overall answers to each question, so you can make your own judgment as to whether the analysis is fairly and even-handedly presented? I'd say as well that you can also look at the content presented in the survey. In an election year, there's a lot of focus on the horse race. The horse race is really the only question we ask which is somewhat unmoored from reality. It asks who you would vote for if the election were today, when in fact the election is not today. The polls that focus on the horse race tend to miss the forest for the trees. All right, Gary Langer, thank you so much for, for joining us. You bet. Thanks, guys. So there's a lot of opinions circling around. We need data. We need data to anchor us to reality. And, and what I'm hearing from Gary Langer is that their job is to pull us back to data, much the way a scientist would say, let's look at the data to support this claim or that claim, regardless of what our opinions might be. Last week, we spoke with Karen Firestone, who said, be skeptical about risk and be skeptical about where you put your money and the decisions you make about your job. And I think a lot of people are. But we're also gullible, and especially when it comes to looking at opinions, people throw around their opinions with no regard to data at all in many cases. Well, they think they're using data, but what they're really using is anecdotes. We, we recently saw an example of this you know, in the days after the Brexit vote. All of a sudden, you saw this outpouring of news stories about people who voted to leave the EU, but then they regretted it. They called it Regrexit. And it became this whole meme that spread all over Facebook and Twitter. Who are all these yahoos? They didn't know what they were voting for. If you look at the numbers, it's only a few. But it fit the, the biases of the people who were quoting this. So they took a handful of anecdotes and they made it look like a trend. This is where polls are good. Let's go to the data. No, I'm sorry. It's not a trend. It's a handful of silly people being quoted in the media. One of the most interesting things to me about what Gary Langer said, he's reluctant to make sweeping statements right. about how we view the economy or how we view immigration or the rise of Donald Trump. But on the other hand, passionate about the need for all of us to look at the data and see the difference between a poll which is really based on a random sample and is done properly and one that's just out there to promote a cause or an opinion. Yeah, yeah. So Langer really brings a nice kind of hard-headed scientific view to an area that is all too often vulnerable to, to passion and, and sort of tribal political viewpoints. He talked a little bit about skepticism, and I think, sadly, today, you were saying we need to be skeptical. Too often the word skeptical or being a skeptic means 
disbelieving everything or only believing the facts you like. You know, right. you see that with various conspiracy theories. Those people call themselves skeptics, but they're in fact the farthest thing from a true skeptic because they're incredibly gullible about whatever information fits their preconceptions. Yeah, I have to plead guilty to that too because I was in favor of Britain staying in and and it was pro-Remain and believed that, oh, well, in, when, when, when push comes to shove, the Brits are not revolutionaries. They'll vote to stay in because of the risk of, of, of leaving the European Union. And I chose not to look at a lot of the polls that were very, very close on right. this. And, and if, but, I, if I'd been a little bit more rational and calm-headed, I think that I would have been much more aware there was a real possibility of, of Brexit winning the day, which yeah, it did. Yeah. And well, in that, you were in sync with most of the elite pundits yeah. and, and commentators. Also, it's possible, we didn't get to this with Gary Langer, but it's possible, too, that there's a little bit of an effect of people understating a position that may be not as socially uh, high status. In fact, in Britain, they have what they call the shy Tory effect. Yeah, that's People right. Are, that, was from, that was from last year. That was the 2015 election where uh, many of the polls were wrong and there was some recalibration of, of polling after that. They didn't predict such a strong showing for uh, the conservative government. And there was this view of, of shy Tory where yeah. people, because it wasn't fashionable to it, admit you were conservative, they tended not to tell opinion pollsters of their true views. And, and interestingly, with I think the criticisms of online polls that, that Gary Langer makes is solid. But in this one case, and now granted, this is just a single anecdote, but in this case, actually, the online polls lean more heavily toward the leave vote in Brexit. And that might reflect a little bit of people more willing to really show their true colors on an online poll than a telephone poll. Let me push back, though, against those who say that polls are not accurate, because I follow this pretty carefully. I'm a bit of a number cruncher when it comes to politics. And I've looked at the results of the U.S. primaries in the states all during this year. And most polls were remarkably yeah. accurate. Yeah. They did very well in most states. Typically, polls are a lot more accurate than you want to believe they are. I mean, you saw that four years ago in the presidential race. You know, there were a lot of people saying, oh, look, this big lead for Obama. This can't be true. People must be much more disaffected. They're not reaching Republicans. But the polls were spot on. Absolutely. The show is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer and Denise Barbarito, our, and Denise Barbarita, our audio engineer, here at the beautiful Mono Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. How did we fix it? Produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com, our new web address. Thanks for listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.